Welcome to the 215th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. This is the third installment in our continuing series on Our Minnesota Future, an exciting statewide initiative the Land Stewardship Project helped launch recently. The guiding principle of Our Minnesota Future is that regular people and organizations representing the interests of these people need a stronger voice in our government. We need elected leaders who commit to govern alongside us and who work with us in deep partnership to create the change we envision for people in the land. Besides LSP, 21 people's organizations are part of this coalition including faith groups, environmental groups, organizations that work in communities of color and immigrant communities, as well as labor unions and progressive organizations. In Ear to the Ground number 214, I talked to Laura Ferrix, who raises organic vegetables on Loon Organics Farm near Hutchinson, Minnesota. I chatted with Laura about how critical it is for policymakers to address issues like quality, affordable health care, and access to local food markets. In this episode, I talked to one of Laura's former employees, Jenna Sando. After graduating from college and taking LSP's Farm Beginnings course, Jenna and her husband Alex moved to Litchfield, a community of around 6,600 people that lies west of Minnesota's Twin Cities. They chose this part of the state for numerous reasons, one of which is that it is home to established farming operations such as Lunogranics that are doing the kind of production and marketing the Sandos would eventually like to undertake. They have worked on farms such as Lunar Organics to gain experience, and their eventual goal is to start their own vegetable operation and perhaps raise livestock. The Sandos, who are in their early 30s, chose the Litchfield area for another important reason. It's home to viable, small, and moderate-sized businesses that can provide off-farm income, as well as benefits such as health care coverage, while the couple saves up money to start their own farming operation. Alex works as a welder, and Jenna works at the Litchfield Natural Food Co-op. Having good health care is particularly important to the Sandos these days, as Jenna recently gave birth to Hattie, their daughter. I traveled to Litchfield and talked to Jenna about the opportunities young people like she and Alex see in rural communities, as well as the challenges beginning farmers face. We also discussed the role local food systems could play in providing even more economic opportunities for young people, and why initiatives like Our Minnesota Future get her so excited. I definitely think that there is opportunity in rural Minnesota, and I think that a lot of there are a lot of other young people who also see opportunity in rural Minnesota. I think there might be barriers to moving out to rural Minnesota. There are barriers to start a farm and to get on the land, but I think the local farming or like the small scale farming or sustainable farming movement in Minnesota is very welcoming of people and. We can talk to many farmers and they'll tell you that they there is a lot of opportunity and that we all see how our food system currently is set up and how there's a lot of change that is needed. And I think we know that we just need more people on the land. Land has been consolidated into larger and larger pieces and it is harder to gain access to it. But if we can get more people there, I think there are markets and people who are interested in local foods. And so it's really exciting to to see see the change that we can make and see that there is opportunity and that so many farmers are willing to help mentor new and beginning farmers and help them get onto the land and get started up. It's not necessarily like this competitive community. It's a community where we want to help each other out because we know that there's markets for all. We know that there will be, like, as we have more farmers, the markets will expand and it might be different in a long, a long ways from now when the market's 
and our economy look a lot different possibly, but right now I think there's a lot of opportunity and a lot of opportunity for people to move out to rural places. I think there's something to be said about living in a smaller community and knowing more about your community, and I think people do still want to move home when you grow up in a rural community, and just like having like the walkability of a downtown or having like a neighborhood where you know a lot of people and there's just different things in rural Minnesota that are benefits to living out here that I think young people really value and I think we would definitely want to move out here. I know of quite a few people who are interested in finding a community. I think it can be hard to figure out what community to move to if you didn't grow up in a small community. Mm-hmm. But I think I was surprised when we bought a house here in Litchfield with how many young people and young families are being started out here. I didn't expect as to meet as many young people as I have met. I was living in the city right before we moved out to um, the Hutchinson Litchfield area and it was a very pleasant surprise. Mm-hmm. I think we all kind of like to get to know each other and stay together and like like knowing that there are other young people can really draw people out here. But I think the one of the big barriers for people just to move out here can be finding jobs, but I think if you're willing to get creative or if you are able to possibly like uh, start your own business or have access to something like that, then there are opportunities. I just one thing I really like about smaller communities is how you can feel empowered to step up in different organizations um, or different roles that is just something I've experienced out here oftentimes small-scale farms are possibly more physically labor-intensive and need more people than a lot of larger-scale farms that rely more on equipment and machinery that in and of itself provides for more opportunities and jobs and training for more people to be working on the land if you look at the the small-scale farms in the area all of them are employing people outside of their families um, and bringing people to this community. And I think as we have more farms that are doing that, bringing more people out here is definitely a, a viable way to create opportunities. I think especially if we can get creative with markets. Mm-hmm. I think CSA and farmer's market is great. And I think like when I first got into farming I assume like for sure that's how I would would sell vegetables eventually but I I think there is a lot of opportunity out there I think we do need to get a little bit more creative in finding other means for selling vegetables and I think possibly considering something like a food hub that could then sell vegetables to institutions like hospitals and schools Mm -hmm. there's a lot of opportunity there especially and in so many ways we we could be creating more jobs and throughout the food chain I guess Mm -hmm. or throughout at all of the ways in which we're selling the vegetables or if we're processing vegetables or just taking a little bit more time to make the food that we would then provide to our community. I think people are excited to know, too, that where their food is coming from, that in and of itself creates more opportunities. That's why the food co-op is, I mean, is thriving still and I would say is like gaining membership every single year. I think people see that they have access to local foods. Not only that, they have this community around local foods. They get to know a lot of people. It's definitely a community space, I would say. So Jenna, talking about, for example, you're in a community where there is a lot of really innovative farmers serving that local food market. You work at a pretty thriving little food co-op here and it's just really great to see 
I gather when you're at the co-op and, and talking to other farmers, they probably get a lot of good feedback from, from people who are, are appreciating this local food and what it does for the community and for the land and that kind of thing. But we don't want to get too carried away. Mm-hmm. You're still operating here. You're still living here in the midst of corn, soybean country. We see the grain elevator over here. We see the rail lines. We see the trucking system. It is completely dominated still, the economy, by corn the corn-soybean system, that is a direct result of policy, both on the state and federal level, mostly on the federal level with the commodity programs, and just the economic system being dominated by corporate agriculture. That must be a challenge to think about, that no matter how many of these nice little examples we have of beginning farmers getting started and people buying their food, that we still, the big elephant in the room, is this huge kind of uh, commodity system that's set up really nicely to ship grain out of the community along with the wealth. Yeah, that is definitely a big elephant in the room. (laughs) And it can be a little discouraging to, to think about when you do focus on that, how much of the wealth in our community is leaving this community when what we really would love to see by starting small farms that hope to sell on a local level is we want to see that wealth stay in the community and then help build that community so that we can continue to thrive here. I think that like policy is what created that policy is what has helped build up that system and has helped create our the status quo. So hopefully there are things that we can do on a policy level as well as like on the grassroots level to impact it the other way like I, th- I think there are ways to support more people getting on the land and in the big picture it doesn't necessarily have to be either or it's not like I mean there definitely can be like larger farms I think where it can be a little bit more challenging is when farms are just so large that so much of the profits of that farm are going directly to corporations and it, for the farms that are so co- corporately owned but there. I mean, there's a balance. There are farms that aren't as large that we are not pitting ourselves against them per se, but there are challenges when big ag or like corporate farming is what is raising the prices of land. I I can be really optimistic and it can feel like this rosy picture where there's tons of opportunity, but there are challenges. And I think if we can get creative and if we can build up the infrastructure in a different way, if we can build up an infrastructure so that we can sell to our local hospitals, our local senior citizen centers, our uh, retirement homes, or just different institutions in all of the communities that all of our rural communities have, like think about how much opportunity there is for local food. Mm. And who doesn't want to have really great quality food? Like I think if people had the choice and if it felt like things were equal, equally priced or if we had better, if we could support local foods so that it's on an equal playing field as a lot of the processed foods that you see in our grocery stores that are currently being sold. I, sold, I think people would choose to have really flavorful food from people that they know and people that are in their community. I think people like to support people in their community. And I think that is part of what has helped our co-op thrive here is like supporting people in the community and wanting to help build Litchfield and keep it thriving and not let it die out like some communities in Minnesota have experienced 
there is a lot of opportunity if we view it from that perspective. Think of all the people that are eating food and eat vegetables or eat meat and food that those veggies that meat or that dairy could could be coming from local farms. Mm. And think about how much of a benefit to our land that would be, how much benefit that would be to our health as Minnesotans. And that health benefit would have lasting impacts throughout Minnesota on our ability to learn, for our kids' ability to learn in school, on our ability to work our jobs and and be healthy. Like I mean, that's part of our healthcare solution too, is to think about getting good food into our body. Some of the biggest barriers that Alex and I have experienced are finding affordable land that is really hard right now, especially in western Minnesota, where it can be hard to find small parcels and affordable land, or land that has um, housing or infrastructure on it. That can be difficult to find. I One of the things we assumed is that maybe the hutchinson Litchfield area might have smaller parcels because of like how many lakes we have and just we it seemed like there may be smaller parcels but there's still we haven't necessarily we haven't found affordable piece of land mm. and we I think that if we could find a small piece of land that we could rent or possibly um own or try, or try to buy we we would we are like looking actively I think it can be difficult for people who have been working in such seasonal work to who aren't necessarily making the most money to put a lot of money into savings and then be able to put a lot of money down and so that's where it, the struggle is with finding that affordable land and then not only that the struggle of having health insurance like affordable health insurance that is a I mean that is why my husband is like one of the big reasons he is working full-time outside of helping us start a farm is because we need to have that health insurance and we need to have it year-round we can't just have it be during the growing season and then be unemployed in the winter or finding a new job and not having access to that health insurance even when we took farm beginnings I think I was a little bit more optimistic about like starting that CSA or um, how we could start a farm. And I think that we just have to get a li- little bit more creative about finding a market too. Mm-hmm. I think that there are things we could do to try and build access to markets for beginning farmers. And yeah, it's awesome that we have a lot of farms in this area that are able to sell locally, but that also I'm still trying, we have to figure out where we would market because I, we are friends with our, our, like other farms and they are mentors to us and we don't want to try and compete. Like that's not something we'd want to do. So we just have to be more creative with figuring out what kind of market we can get into. Are there some policy, is that an area where policy could help out certain changes in state policy or even federal policy, you know, when you talk to policymakers, are these, are there some things that they could be doing to help with some of these, you know, because I think we've established that having these small and medium-sized farms and communities are a plus for these communities and, and in general. So I guess an argument could be made it's a public good to maybe put in place certain policies that could help get over those barriers. Have you thought about that? I think there are policies that we could do, and, and it definitely is a public service. I think if we can have more farms out here that are growing food that we can eat, then 
more people are going to have access to healthy food, and that's especially a problem with food deserts that we have in a lot of places in Minnesota. But for policy, I think I think we can do things to incentivize selling to beginning farmers. We can do things to incentivize smalling, or selling smaller parcels to beginning farmers or to farmers to start smaller farms. I think currently the way our tax system is set up in Minnesota, we are definitely incentivizing larger farms mm-hmm. more so than smaller farms. And, and there are ways we can support that through policy for sure. And, and there, I think there are a lot of different ways in which we could, but even just having that on our, on the agenda of, and on the minds of the politicians in Minnesota to be thinking about beginning farmers and how we can get more farmers on land. Cause we need, we need more young farmers. Like the, the average age of Minnesotan farmers is just continues to increase. Other things that we can do, we could try and do more research around local foods marketing and around markets to figure out what is successful and figure out how we can encourage whatever we find to be most successful to continue to happen in Minnesota if we can do research on what the effects of a food hub can do in a, mm-hmm. in a region then we could possibly incentivize food hubs in many regions in Minnesota. So I think there are definitely things that we can do on a policy level. There's this whole issue of rural-urban divide mm. that's been brought up. So have you thought about that? Is is there is that a real thing? Yeah, I, I personally think the urban-rural divide is uh, one made up by corporations and politicians in the state of Minnesota that help try and pit us against each other, honestly. Um, I think we have a lot of similarities and more similarities than we realize. It, I think it can be helpful to some politicians and, and corporations if we are focusing on how it's the other group that is to blame for the problems that we mm-hmm. face rather than seeing who it actually is, which is oftentimes our focus on corporate interests over actual people in Minnesota. I mean, you can especially see that in small towns, how our focus on corporations, I think, has led to a, like, a hollowing out of a lot of main streets in small towns. And instead of blaming those corporations, we're blaming it on people going to the city only. And if we had those main street, like those businesses on main streets, we'd have more opportunities for people to stay here. The other way around, too, I think, when you're in the city, you can possibly blame rural Minnesota for it could be like the way our politics are going or just seeing things so differently I think it's personally it's made up we all care a lot about our communities we all want to see our communities thrive we all want access to good health care we all want good education for our kids we all want access to good child care like there are so many things that we all care about and we value and we're more alike than we're different what interested you about getting involved with something like Our Minnesota Future? And I guess what excites you about seeing something like this? It's relatively unique uh, getting going. And, you know, we've had some really good events with candidates and uh, use those as opportunities to have people like you say, this is what we'd like to see. But also for them to see the faces of people of different organizations, different backgrounds, showing that they have some common interests, some common challenges that they uh, are working on. How do you see something like this as maybe you've got a lot of good ideas, you'd like to see a lot of good things uh, go on in these communities, but how does something like this fit into that? I think at the core of our Minnesota future is the 
idea that we need to put more power into the hands of everyday people. And it's wonderful to see so many organizations coming together the way that they have around shared values and around uh, putting power in the hands of people. This is unlike anything we've done in Minnesota. And it's a very unique thing that's super exciting. And I think we need to have something like this that's creative solution to try and match what we are currently facing in our in the political realm right now in Minnesota and in our nation. Unlike what we've seen in the past, there is a lot more other interests that are being listened to in politics mm-hmm. and in our government and legislature. Because of that, I think we have to figure out how we can possibly compete with that. And to me, the only way in which we can do that is to bring a lot of people together. And something like our Minnesota Future does exactly that. It brings people from different walks of life and who have different interests or different things that they see as like their main focus. But it comes together, we figured out what we all value and what we all care about and now we're all going to work together towards that I mean how else are we going to put people back into our government unless we do something as unique as this whenever I mention our Minnesota to to people who hadn't heard haven't heard of our Minnesota future they all are so excited about the idea I think they hear about something as unique as this coalition of so many organizations and they're like wow that's that's huge and that's unlike anything we've done before and that is something that hopefully can really make a big impact in helping average Minnesotan be heard. I think that I would say that's probably the most exciting thing seeing other people get excited about it when they hear about it because everybody knows that our current political system is biased and is out of sorts or just like not working for us Mm -hmm. and trying to come up with any idea or hearing of a coalition like this that's trying to bring it back to the people, people are just like, yes, that's what we need. We need that to be, we need our politics to be back in the hands of people. We need people to be heard. We need our interests to be thought of when decisions are being made. For more on the Our Minnesota Future initiative, see landstewardshipproject.org and follow the links under the Organizing for Change tab. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or you can call 612-722-6377. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.